Hello and welcome to Disenfranchised. We are a podcast about those franchises of one, uh, those movies that didn't quite get the franchise they were clearly hoping for. Um, the, the the podcast brave enough to answer that question, wait, that was supposed to start a franchise? Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Stephen Foxworthy, and uh, joining me, the uh, steak to my fries, the cream to my coffee, is my co-host, Brett Wright. How are you, sir? You're, you're waving at me, which is great in an auditory medium. Doing my best time impression. Oh, del- well, then I need a, a big old yeah from you, if you would, please. No, thank you. I mean, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, and uh, so, I mean, you've mentioned it already kind of in passing. What movie are we discussing today? What failed franchise starter are we uh, going to be talking about for the duration of this episode? We are talking about Tom and Jerry the movie... Tom and Jerry colon the movie from 1992 in Germany, but 1993 in the U.S., uh, directed by Phil Roman and starring Richard Kind, Dana Hill, Andy McAfee, Tony J., Rip Taylor, Henry Gibson, Michael Bell, Ed Gilbert, David L. Lander, Howard Morris, Sidney Lassick, and Charlotte Ray. How this movie assembled such a great cast I have no earthly clue but they did and they're in this movie for some reason oh and i should also mention also the great don messick is in this movie as well for literally one line of dialogue which one line of dialogue is that hello all you happy people yes the great don messick known for scooby-doo and boo-boo and papa smurf uh is here just to voice droopy who shows up to say one line and one line only. Um, and yet he was all over the trailer for this movie, as I recall. That's kind of weird because mm-hmm. I honestly, that might've been my favorite part of this movie. It's just the random droopy cameo. Yeah. absolutely. I mean, droopy was a big part of kind of this era of Tom and Jerry uh, as one of the other iconic MGM cartoons uh, that were kind of associated with one another. Uh, he and his son Dribble were a part of the Tom and Jerry Kids show, which was popular uh, on, uh, I think, Fox Animation at this time. Um, so, I mean, Droopy and was kind of a part of the package. But, um, yeah, what he's doing in this movie, I have I have no idea. But, you know, you bring in Don Messick, and I can't be mad about that. No. Hey, also hey, Astro. He was also Astro in uh, in the Jetsons. So. Like I got a laugh out of me, and like I said, it was the, it was the best part of this movie, hands yeah. down, easily, easily. Which, which may be showing too much of your hand too soon. I don't know, possibly. Um, but boy, howdy, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna talk about this movie. Uh, but first, Brett, before we get into the film, uh, let's talk about our um, our own relationship with the Tom and Jerry property. Uh, do you have any uh, any familiarity with the property? Where did you watch the cartoons growing up? Have you ever seen this movie before? What lay it out for me? I watched the cartoons as a kid, of course, because I mean, of course, I did. Um, I consumed so many cartoons as a kid. You know, I might have mm-hmm. me and you might have been one of the last generations to have Saturday morning cartoons. Um, uh, at least good ones, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I was thinking about this the other day. We're in a really interesting position in that we were given the opportunity to digest media that our parents grew up with uh, between like Nick at Night and networks running huge blocks of like Looney Tunes and Tom and Jerry cartoons. Um, we really got to kind of get a taste and a feel for for all of that different stuff uh, to gain a familiarity with um, are you know the previous generation's entertainment in a way that I don't think most people today really are like Gen Z could not care less about the stuff you and I grew up watching or the stuff that Gen X grew up watching because it's it's hard to get anywhere. Yeah, it, one only need to look at the discourse around Animaniacs when, it, sure. when the reboot came out, for example. Yeah, uh, there was a lot of people of our generation going, "This is great, we love it." Oh my God, they're back. And a lot of the Gen Zers going, man, this is uh, this is weird. 
Um, I mean, they're not wrong. It's pretty weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know. But again, our enjoyment of Animaniacs was informed by our enjoyment of Looney Tunes cartoons, which is what inspired Animaniacs in the first place. So that's very true, which HBO Max tried to recently reboot as well, sort of, mm-hmm. kind of. Um, I haven't I watched mean, any of those, but I haven't either. I know Disney has also tried to reboot um, like the classic Mickey cartoons as well, uh, mm-hmm. which I have also not seen. I think those are on Disney Plus. So, I mean, a, a lot of that stuff they're trying to find a place for and, and reboot because nostalgia's king, baby. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's a weird sort of cyclical thing where, like, we've talked before about how how everybody's nostalgic for the 90s now. Yeah. Um, so it's a weird, like, Inception-style thing where being nostalgic for the 90s makes you nostalgic for, like, the 40s and 50s because that's when the cartoons that you watched in the 90s came out. Yeah. And I mean, there was also the big nostalgia boom in the 60s and 70s that was happening because these things kind of happen every 20 to 30 years. Um, So like the stuff that we were nostalgic for in the 90s, like troll dolls and um, lava lamps and that that 60s, 70s stuff is by virtue of that stuff being popular then is becoming popular again now. Yeah, it's a weird Russian nesting doll of nostalgia happening. Uh, it's i mean the the patrick williams video about austin powers is is kind of a perfect example of that because that is rooted in nostalgia for the 60s but as that nostalgia kind of resurfaces again will be nostalgic for austin powers which is itself nostalgic for something else like it yeah weird russian nesting doll kind of thing yeah so i absolutely watched you know all the tom and jerry cartoons i watched the attempts to freshen up the franchise like tom and jerry kids uh, which was fine, I guess. Um, there was a lot of that going on around that time too, because I remember there was the Flintstone kids when we were younger as well, where like it was Fred and Wilma and Barney and Betty and Captain Caveman as kids. Well, sure, but I think that was because uh, Muppet Babies was super popular. So they're like, let's just yes. turn all of these properties into children now. Correct. And that was, I mean, it's one of those like Hollywood, there are no original ideas in Hollywood. So it worked. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. What's good for property A is good for properties X, Y, and Z as well. Right, exactly. Because uh, that's always worked, right? Always. Historically <laughs> um, true. <laughs> so, so yeah, I watched all the cartoons. Um, and, but, strangely enough, did not know this movie existed until you told me about it. And maybe its box office will reflect that. I don't know. You've only hinted at such. I have. Um, so yeah, this movie, uh, I did not see it in theaters, but I did see it on VHS multiple times, having already had a familiarity for Tom and Jerry, because again, we were you fortunate enough to have access to all of those old cartoons, Tom and Jerry and Looney Tunes and Popeye and all of that stuff, either through cheap VHSs or just free on television. It was kind of right there, ready at our fingertips. And, you know, I was an animation nut as a kid. Like, I loved cartoons, like all cartoons. Um, so, yeah, sign me up for this. Absolutely. And I was I was intrigued by the fact that there was a, a dog and a flea character, kind of a, an opposite number to Tom and Jerry in this. Um, was very intrigued by that. But here's the thing. I remember pieces of this movie very vividly before the rewatch, that is, that we did for this episode. Um, I remembered pieces of it very, I could have sang you at least a verse of the two of a kind or friends to the end song that the dog and the flea sing. Like I, 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 there were pieces of that song that are embedded in my mind for all time. That's, that's the only song in this movie that even remotely did anything for me too. It correct. I was, I still woke up this morning had it in my head I was like, why 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 is this in my head it it's, shouldn't get out it, it shouldn't be there it's the good one um it's it's the it's an earworm too like it just it digs in there and like i also remembered a part of the god's little creatures song like i remembered that was a song i remembered that droopy was in this movie and then i remembered nothing else about this movie like i i i remembered no other thing about it and uh re-watching it none of it came back like i'm sitting there watching and at some point you're expecting something to to jog or freshen a part of your memory and be like oh this okay of course i remember this nope didn't happen 
Uh, and I think it's because despite the fact that I did grow up watching this movie, my cousin owned it. So when I would go to visit my cousin, we'd watch it. Despite watching this movie growing up, it doesn't exist. Like you and I watched this movie for this podcast, but I am pretty convinced this movie does not exist. We traveled to an alternate dimension. Yeah. Uh, we had to tap into the original dimension to find it. Exactly. This is like a, it's a, it's a Mandela effect, but we've all just, instead of like remembering something different, we've just completely forgotten this. Like this has just been scrubbed from the collective consciousness. Uh, finding this movie is a chore. It was uh, up until very recently streaming on HBO Max, but uh, I think, and I, you and I were discussing this earlier before the record, I think they took it down because there's a new Tom and Jerry movie coming to HBO Max. And I don't think they wanted to confuse people uh, as to which Tom and Jerry movie is the new one. So uh, this movie no longer on HBO Max had to, uh, had to rent it from YouTube of all places. It, it's also on Amazon Prime. I was able to get it on Amazon Prime. I, my computer was giving me fits, so I was not able to get it on Amazon Prime, but YouTube worked just fine. Don't know if you really want to spend. I don't know how much you spent to rent it on YouTube, but four uh, bucks. Okay, so that's how much it is on Amazon Prime as well. Yeah. Uh, listeners, I don't recommend you spend that much on this movie. <laughs> again, again, I'm showing my hand for yeah. my, my rating later. But this, this movie ain't worth four dollars. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's. Uh, I uh, I was able to use my uh, my Google Play money, so it, it doesn't it. It's money I've already spent, so I didn't feel like. Uh, like I was actually spending money on it, which helps. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it does. Uh, but yeah, so um, this movie, uh, again, is, is a thing that I saw. And here's the thing. You can absolutely tell from watching this movie that they were trying to, to give Tom and Jerry the big Disney Renaissance style push that kind of made, I mean, everyone's doing Disney at this point because the Disney Renaissance is the biggest thing in animation. Uh, the little mermaid rescuers down under to a much lesser extent beauty and the beast. This movie comes out the same year as Aladdin. Yeah. I, and man, I was, I was deep into the animation Renaissance that happened because of the Disney Renaissance. I was deep. I got knowledge of movies that nobody's heard of. We're talking Oliver oh. and company. Yep. We're talking, uh, Once Upon a Forest. I've mentioned Fern Gully on this podcast before. You have. Um, All Dogs Go to Heaven, which is maybe mm -hmm. more known. Um, the Land Before Time. One, one, and, one, stuff. one and two. One and two. Let's not talk about what I happened honestly, to that franchise later. I only saw one. I, I know there are like 12 movies in that franchise, but I only know the first one. That's fair. But yeah, I was, man, I was all about all the weird animation that was going, all the weird musicals. Every cartoon Weirdly, was though, a musical. Yeah. and uh, But again, I think that's because of Disney. Well, sure. Um, and, and what, and I, the, the, the Disney Renaissance, what it does differently is it brings kind of a Broadway style to the animation. And that's what ends up making it very popular. So you have Howard Ashman and Alan Menken who are the guys that gave us one of our mutually favorite musicals, uh, Little Shop of Horrors, uh, the, uh, the original off-Broadway musical. Those are the guys that wrote that, and they're doing the music for Little Mermaid, for Beauty and the Beast, for Aladdin. Like, these are, like, big Broadway names. So who do you get to write your music? Why, you get one of the most acclaimed film composers uh, in recent memory, Henry Mancini to write the music for this movie. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, not his best work. No, he really phoned it in. And honestly, the, the, the music is serviceable. It works. Um, lyrics, however, or, I have, I have a note here. Uh, someone got a lot of use out of their rhyming dictionary. Yes. And, and they're not difficult rhymes either. They're all mostly very easy, easy rhymes. Like rhyming guys with fries. Yeah, I think I made that note around the time of the uh, Fig and Lick Boot song about money. Oh, um, my word. What a terrible song. Yeah, so bad. I, and I'm all for for characters in movies singing about money. Uh, the song Money in Cabaret is chef's kiss and absolute delight. This is not that song <laughs> at all. 
No, no. And that that one, I think, may be the nadir of the the music in this movie because it's just it's actively bad. Yeah, it has uh, what what I refer to as the chess problem. So we know uh, one night in Bangkok. The best yeah. song from the musical Chess. Hell yeah. Uh, many would consider it's the only song because the rest of the songs in that musical are garbage. And I mean, that's you get one breakaway pop hit. The rest of the songs don't have to be good. People are coming just to, just to hear One Night in Bangkok. That's fine. Sure. But yeah, no, that's and that's kind of where we land on on Chess as a whole. But you're right. There, there's one song that's pretty catchy. The lyrics still pretty touchy. Yeah, they are. <laughs> They're, they're not great. You'll no. never find two other guys compatible as steak and fries. It's not a good lyric. <laughs> it's just not. But it gets stuck in your head, man. It, that, that song's it, an earworm and I hate that it. That song has been stuck in my head since 1993. Probably 1994 if I'm being realistic. But still, it's been in there for a while. Like, it it gets in there. So, yeah. it. But, yeah. No, the rest of it's not great. You've got um, Charlotte Ray doing her best. Pat Carroll as Ursula and the Little Mermaid as as uh aunt pristine fig is the character's name god the names in this movie that let me get into that for a second yeah please do it's <laughs> it's egregious I, I made another note uh mr Lickboot, mr apple cheek what kind of surnames are these mm-hmm. like wait were you just were you flipping through just like i don't know it's, like it's a dictionary like a thesaurus yeah i mean we're basically like what do we want like the name is the character. It's it's Lick, Lickboot. What does he do? Well, he's a he's an ass kissing lawyer. Uh, Apple cheek. Well, he's you know just this sweet old man, but it turns out he's actually terrible. And we're going to give him a song about how terrible he is. Captain Kitty and Squawk. Uh, who's Captain Kitty? Well, he's a he's a pirate who runs an amusement park. And who's Squawk? It's his it's his parrot hand puppet, who apparently is sentient and can see things with his puppet eyes and has long involved conversations with the man whose hand he's attached to like the parrot, the parrot puppet finds information and relays it to the captain. The captain doesn't see the information. The puppet sees the information and relays it back to the captain. And they're voiced by two different actors. Like captain Kitty is voiced by gay icon, Rip Taylor uh, he of the uh, confetti throwing fame. Sure. And then the parrot Squawk is voiced by, and I'm going to get the, I don't have the actor's name in front of me, unfortunately. I'm going to have to dig it up. Howard Morris, who I know best as being the voice of Wade the Duck on Garfield and Friends from the 90s, that early 90s cartoon. But two different actors. I mean, they sound similar enough that you could probably think they're one actor. They're not. They're two different actors. But it, it's bananas. Like, that was that was an that was a real sticking point for me. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, that's really weird. Just it's, a lot of the a lot of stuff doesn't make sense in this movie. Because yeah, uh, we'll so I'll circle back around to another note. Uh, Robin doesn't bat an eye at talking animals. Is this normal in this world? What? Yeah, and you you kind of have to wonder what is going on with that because none of the other human characters in this movie interact with Tom and Jerry. So maybe it's just a kid thing. And Lord knows there's only one child in this movie. But I mean, this movie seems to be borrowing from a lot of the other popular tropes in animation at the time. Uh, there's a lot of all dogs go to heaven in this movie. Um, like there's just, it seems to be borrowing from a bunch of other stuff, but it doesn't really mesh it in any way that's cohesive or really good for any kind of overall story. Like it, it just doesn't mesh. Yeah, I, I will give it credit though, because I gotta give it credit somewhere, right? I guess. Might uh, as well. They actually explain why Tom and Jerry have never talked to one another before. In 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 a sense, sure. I mean, they took at least they took the time to answer that question because they certainly didn't have to. Based on the rest of this movie, Mm-mm. you wouldn't think they were even thinking about that, no. but they were, and I appreciate that. Sure, sure. Well, we've we've. I mean, we've talked a lot about this movie for people that have are putting off talking about this movie. Uh, so we might as well jump into the plot in 60 seconds, uh, which is where of course, one of us um, will recount the plot of this film in 60 seconds or less as decided by our good friend, the coin of justice, uh, which Brett will now call in the air. Call it Brett. Tails.
And it is heads. Yay. So you, Brett, must now, by the by the rules um, vested by the coin of justice, you must recount the plot of Tom and Jerry Colin the movie from 1993 to our audience in 60 seconds or less. Are you ready? No, but let's do it anyway. Sounds great. Uh, your time, sir, starts now. All right. So uh, we open to Tom and Jerry's house being uh, well, they're moving. Uh, whoever owns them is moving. Um, then you find out that it's being demolished for some reason. Um, so now like immediately, like immediately, uh, which is weird. Uh, so Tom and Jerry are now out on their own because the boners left without them. Um, and so they eventually find their way to Robin, who is a child that's uh, lost. Um, and then they find out that her dad, who she thought was dead, is actually seconds. alive. Um, but her aunt and her underling um, are actually trying to steal her parents' money. And so they ransom her for a million dollars, whoever can find them. Um, and so people go after them, but she gets away, finds out her dad's still alive and reunites with him. And then they get back together and everything. And then they live happily ever after in their new home. I hope their original Tom's original owner isn't upset about that. All right. And that's time. I mean, honestly, if Tom's original owner was going to be upset with that, uh, she would have checked the car to make sure he was there before she left. Yeah. Instead of just going, uh, come on, Tom, we're leaving. And then just leaving. Uh, and yeah, the, the amazing thing is that like she leaves and then like the next day the house is gone. Like it, the, like the wrecking ball comes through and starts to demolish it. Like it's insane. Well, that's not even the next day, right? That's like within 15 minutes of them leaving. Is I, I seem to recall him sleeping, but I, again, I just watched this movie and it, I don't remember. It's with the exception of that one song, it has left my head so quickly. Yeah, because like within, it's funny, within the first like half hour of this movie, Tom leaves Jerry to die of starvation in multiple ways. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, yeah, like, uh, yeah, he, the owner tells Tom to get in the car. They, they leave, but he sees Jerry getting into the car after him. Mm -hmm. So he chases him back into the house, mm -hmm. um, boards him up in his hole. Even though Jerry's already locked the door. And seems content to stay there because he doesn't unlock it till the next day when the house is getting demolished. And I don't or till think, whenever it is. Yeah, because because um, then yeah, then he goes he goes back outside to catch the car, mm -hmm. and it's gone. So he's chased back to the house by the bulldogs. Yes, and that's when the house is demolished. Right. I remember him laying on like a a cushion. And then there's a spring in the cushion that like pops his head up or something. Oh, that's right. He does sleep. You are yeah. correct. That yeah. is an okay. Yeah. And then Jerry doesn't attempt to leave until the house. And but but Tom, to his credit, and again, this is bizarre, goes back in the house to save Jerry once the house, once he understands the house is being demolished, which honestly he has to do because otherwise this there wouldn't be a movie. But like for someone who is seems so hell-bent on killing this mouse the easiest way to, to make sure that he dies is to not do a thing. I just assumed it's a Batman Joker situation. Uh, you know, where it's sure, you know, the guy, I want to kill it. Like it, it, uh, what's he say in dark Knight? I'm just a dog chasing a car. I wouldn't know what to do if I caught it. Yeah. So he Which, has honestly, to keep chasing it. You can say for any, I mean, Tom and Jerry, uh, let's, let's do a little bit of, 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 uh, historical work on Tom and Jerry created in 1940 by William Hanna and Joseph Barbera, uh, not for their titular Hanna Barbera company, but for MGM cartoons, uh, which is where they lived until they were purchased in the eighties by time Warner, which is how they joined the fold with the rest of Hanna Barbera, the Looney Tunes, cause Turner just bought up all that stuff. But at any rate um, they lived on in, in many incarnations. Hanna Barbera did a bulk of the cartoons uh, in the early days, uh, eventually Chuck Jones takes over. Those are the ones I think I'm more familiar with. Uh, the one where Tom pops out of the O in his name and does the the MGM lion growl. And then Jerry kind of like slinks onto, I think it's either the J or the Y in his name and does that little wave. Those are the Chuck Jones ones from the 60s that I remember well. But I mean, yeah, just I'm pretty 
constantly being made, I think from the 40s and 50s and then through the 60s, a brief resurgence in the 80s and then the 90s, we've got the Tom and Jerry Kids cartoon. And it's in the middle of the Tom and Jerry Kids cartoon that this movie comes out, which feels really odd because the popular conception of Tom and Jerry at that time is the one with kids. Uh, So it just, it feels weird um, that this would be the time they decide to bring out the Tom and Jerry movie. Um, I know that Chuck Jones had tried to make a movie in the seventies, but he, he was never able to find a script that he liked. So. Yeah. That was always weird when you, when you tell me that almost like, like they just had this sitting around and wanted to release it earlier, but didn't have a chance. So they were just like, push this out the door now. Uh, So it's an even weirder decision that this was just, created during this time even though it had really didn't have a reference point for most people well i mean beyond the cartoons which i would argue were still somewhat ubiquitous um in the early 90s like all this stuff is is just again turner owns it so it's on all his networks tbs tnt it's filler on all those cartoon network it's filler on all those networks at the time so it's not like it's it's the only reference point however the popular reference point is definitely the Tom and Jerry kids show on Fox, Fox kids animation. Yeah. And I mean, also, I guess, I guess I can't really say that because, you know, there were, you know, cartoon musicals like this coming out around that time that didn't have an established IP attached to them. So Correct. you would assume this should do better than those. One would assume. Um, and it, it, I think it's one of those things like it, it's distributed by Miramax uh, and Miramax was kind of in at this point in time, they were just kind of buying stuff up to release it. Yeah. So the production companies on this, it's live entertainment, Turner entertainment, film Roman, which is Phil Roman's company. It doesn't have the backing of a big company like Disney or Warner brothers behind it. Uh, to and, and so I would imagine that funding for this movie was probably difficult to come by just in terms of the overall making of it. I don't know how much of a demand there was. I mean, looking at the looking at the 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 gestation time, the fact that this kind of sat in development hell since the 70s um kind of tells me what kind of demand there is for it and uh, also the box office kind of tells me what kind of demand there was for it. Um Phil Roman, I want to talk about him a little bit because he is this is his only feature film credit period full stop at this point in his career and probably even still today he is best known for making a lot of the later uh peanuts tv specials like um it's thanksgiving charlie brown um and then he also directed a lot of the garfield tv movies like um the garfield halloween special which i grew up watching a lot i'm sure that's one that you're familiar with at least as well the garfield christmas special which i rewatched just a couple months ago during the christmas season um so i mean those are kind of his big credits this is his only uh feature film and then after this he goes right back to tv uh but he's a producer on the simpsons so i or was for a number of years, I think uh, through the early nineties back in the show's supremacy days, uh, he was a a producer because I think film Roman, his company provided uh, some of the animation at one point. So, I mean, his credits read pretty impressively, but again, he's, he's never actually been a director of anything other than TV specials after before or after this movie, this is his one at bat for a feature film. And it's this. So that's really, really kind of disappointing in the long. In fact, he doesn't even direct another video after this until the year 2000 when he directs the direct to video cartoon Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. Uh, Based on the Elmo and Patsy song. It's a big oof. Yeah. Uh, Because, again, this this is this is such a whiff for him, Um, which is a bummer because I like like his name is one because of his association with film Roman, his was a name that I grew up seeing at the end of just about every cartoon I watched. And I was a cartoon buff. So like I knew the name film Roman, like I knew that name very well. Uh, So it's kind of a bummer that this was his only real shot at directing um, because this movie is, 
This movie has a lot of problems. A lot of problems. Yeah, the main one being that it's kind of, it, it drags on and is boring as hell. The plot for this movie, such as it is, is not enough to sustain an hour and a half long movie which is why it doesn't start in earnest until about 22 minutes in the film and then once it does start it keeps getting derailed like there's no real constancy to this movie it feels very piecemeal and not in the episodic way that you where you can imagine oh this is just like three or four different tom and jerry shorts smashed together in fact we don't even get tradition we get traditional tom and jerry antics over the opening credits and then we get them in the very first scene. And then we do not get traditional Tom and Jerry antics again until the very end of the movie. Now, there are a couple set pieces, I guess. There's the thing in the alley with the food. There's the thing in the kitchen with the dog. Beyond that, though, not enough. Let me say not enough Tom and Jerry style antics. Yeah, yeah, because there's a few. I, I was going to mention the one in the kitchen. That felt very Tom and Jerry hijinksy. Um, mm-hmm. It also reminded me a lot of the opening scene of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Fair. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So, Stephen, not to derail what you're saying there, but uh, I was really, done. It's fine. Uh, okay. Uh, I really wanted to discuss uh, Tony J. The great Tony J. Because this man is, if you're looking for a villain voice, this man did a lot of it. Boy, howdy. I've got his um, information pulled up here. Let me get to it. Uh, so, his known for on IMDb is uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame and Beauty and the Beast. Uh, he is a, a minor villain in uh, Beauty and the Beast, Monsieur Dark, the, um, the head of the asylum. Uh, he is the voice of the supreme being in Ty- Terry Gilliam's Time Bandits, which is a great movie. Uh, and then he also plays a character named Werner in Twins, apparently. Uh, but in addition to all of that, he, I mean, his, his career is epic in scope. Yeah, see, that's that's the thing. I I was like, I know I've heard this man do so many villain voices, but I don't recognize any of these movies, mostly. Uh, but then I started looking at his television credits, and I'm like, oh, this is where I've heard his voice a million yes, times. It's absolutely the TV credits. Like I remember him. Okay, so weird. Uh, but I remember him as the the voice of the sidekick character on the Bruce Willis animated show, Bruno the Kid, which I don't know if you've even heard of that. I have, because I was also a big animation kid. So uh, for some reason, yes, I know that cartoon. Uh, He is uh, also the, he also plays Dougie Milford in three episodes of Twin Peaks season two. So there you go. He's, He's been on one of our favorite television shows in uh, the middle of one of the worst seasons of that show. Yeah, I barely remember his part because, it, you know, it's, it's the bad season. It's it's the bad one. It's, yeah. And it's the bad part of the bad season because they made them wrap that thing up within the first eight episodes. And after that, it kind of all unraveled slowly And before David Lynch came back for the last episode and sent it off in high gear, baby. Tried to fix it and didn't, eh, whether he succeeded in fixing it, we'll leave that up to you. Actually, we'll discuss it at length whenever we get to Fire Walk With Me, because we're going to totally discuss that at some point, future episode of this show. We are. Can't wait for that. Uh, Oh, no, neither can I. So, yes. So, Tony J, good heavens. Like, I'm looking through, and it's just like he's in, like, an episode of Darkwing Duck. He's in um, an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. He's in several episodes of The Legend of Prince Valiant. He's in an episode of The Little Mermaid TV show. He's in an episode of Sonic the Hedgehog. He's in an episode of The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. He's uh, in, an, in a few, a couple. He's in a couple episodes of, uh, or no, just one. Yes, just one episode of one of my favorite obscure television shows, Erie, Indiana. Erie, Indiana, yes. Uh, a, a, a show that takes place here in the great state of Indiana. Uh, he's sort, in... sort of, sort of, kind of, a little bit. It's a little Twin Peaksy. Uh, it is. It's, 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 uh, it's like Twin Peaks Junior is what it's, it is. It's in a fictional town in Indiana, so kind of, maybe. It still counts. Um, he's in several episodes of Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, which is a thing I did not know. He's in an episode of the Aladdin TV show. He's in All Dogs Go to Heaven 2. 
he plays a character named Yeti, or maybe it's just a Yeti in Captain Planet. Like he's just, he's been, he's Chairface Chippendale in The Tick. I mean, come on. Baron Mordo in the Spider-Man animated series. Lord Dreg in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, he was in the Savage Dragon cartoon. Like he's just been around doing the work for years. He's the vil- main villain in the Mighty Ducks TV show, uh, a TV show about a bunch of alien ducks that play hockey, which is somehow derived, spun off of a, of a movie series about children playing hockey somehow. I'm not sure how that comes across, but it did like madness, madness. Yeah, there was the movies, and then that spun into the actual hockey team, and then that spun into the cartoon. It was a weird sort of way that worked out. I don't know why, but it's, it's cool. cool. Like cool, I guess. He's the voice of Shere Khan in Tailspin. Like, yeah, just... if you knew a villain voice uh, during the '90s in a cartoon kid show, more than likely Mr. Tony J was doing it. Yeah. Just a great performer. He passed away in uh, 2006. Uh, honestly, I looked over this cast list. All but like three of the major cast members have passed away. Richard Kind, Andy McAfee, and uh, Michael Bell are the surviving members of this cast. Everyone else has passed away. Yeah, it, it's it's a tragedy. There it is. I mean, okay. So let me talk about the, let's talk about the elephant in the room, Brett. The, the, the thing that we've not talked about yet. Um, but is, I think, the main thing that most people either love or hate about this movie. Tom and Jerry speaking. Not really something they'd ever done before. No. um, Which this cartoon kind of brings to our attention. Um, What did you think of that? Did you like it? Did you dislike it? And if you, and regardless of your opinion, how do the voice actors, Richard Kind and Dana Hill, that they chose to voice Tom and Jerry, how do they meet your conception of what Tom and Jerry are supposed to sound like? Well, first of all, we did bring up this elephant already uh, when I mentioned that good on them for figuring out. Sure. I mean, um, that, I mean, they explain it, but we didn't really get into like the logistics of what we thought of them talking because apparently it's a major sticking point and most fans of the movie who dislike this movie dislike it on that basis. Really? I did not know that. That's interesting that, information. It's, it's that and the fact that uh, Jerry slices up Tom in the opening credits and apparently you see blood and it's the only time blood ever shows up in a Tom and Jerry cartoon. So apparently that's another reason people don't like it, but really, I mean, classic animation fans are weird, dude. Fans in general are weird. Oh, look, we're back on that one again. Look, everybody, let's say this one more time. Let's say it together in your own homes, in your car, in your bed. Yeah. Wherever you are, just say this out loud with us. Say this with us mantra right now. Don't be a fan. Don't be a fan. Just Just like like stuff. stuff. Uh, So, yeah, no, I mean, like, it's fine, I guess. I mean, I certainly didn't expect Richard Kind's voice to come out of Tom. (laughs) Yeah, you don't expect Tom to sound like Bing Bong from from Inside Out. No, and I especially, look, I was not a fan of Jerry's voice. Uh, Yeah, Dana Hill was uh, Audrey Griswold in uh, National Lampoon's European Vacation. Uh, which I know because I've recently rewatched all of Amy Heckerling's films and she directed that one. So like Jerry starts talking and I'm like, that's Audrey Griswold. Why is Audrey Griswold Jerry? It's a really weird decision. I, I mean, I guess, I, I don't know. Like, it's, I mean, when, when you have characters that have not talked for so long, what do you do? Like, yeah. what are you supposed to do? Like, I can't imagine, I can't imagine a movie, an entire movie where the titular characters don't talk, but at the same time, how do you meet people's expectations about what they're supposed to sound like? So really it's a catch 22, man. Like maybe they just shouldn't have done this movie at all. Here we go. <laughs> maybe they just shouldn't have just, maybe just don't do it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe don't. Well, and cause here's the thing I, from what I, from what I've seen of the, the, the new movie, which as of the date of this airing comes out tomorrow, uh, both uh, in theaters and on uh, HBO Max. Please watch it on HBO Max. Do not go to a movie theater. Stay home. Stay home. Wear your mask indoors uh, and don't go to a movie theater. Uh, subscribe to HBO Max or get a free trial and watch. If you really want to see Tom, the new Tom and Jerry movie, watch it that way. 
Um, but from what I can see, it's all of the animals in the film are animated. So it's not just Tom and Jerry, but like all of the animals are animated. Uh, Cause there's like elephants in the trail. Have you seen the trailer? I have. Yes. Okay. So, you know, like the ele- elephants, the birds all animated and then all the people are like real. So it's animated animals interacting with real flesh and blood human actors, Chloe Grace Moretz, Michael Pena um, and others. Um, but the, the idea seems to be like, that's the, conceit but i don't think tom and jerry are actually going to be speaking in this one it seems like the human characters will be doing the speaking and tom and jerry will be relegated to the more hijinksy stuff that they're known for which honestly feels like it could be a good approach like i the trailer does not look particularly good to me but it looks a far sight better than this yeah I mean, it looks fine i guess it is you know we got some Real strong Who Framed Roger Rabbit vibes, you know, we'll bring that up again. Um, I mean, look, one of the, I will say something I read is one of the early conceits of this movie was a, almost a direct rip, riff on Who Framed Roger Rabbit in that the Tom and Jerry we see would be the actors, Tom and Jerry, who portray the characters. So it's very much a Who Framed Roger Rabbit kind of film. And the Tom and Jerry shorts that we've seen are like the film within the film. I'm not sure how that would have worked, but I, it probably would have been better than this. Look, man, it's been long enough. That doesn't sound like a bad time. I'm kind of into that idea. I'm kind of upset they didn't do that. Yeah. I mean, however, this is 92, 93. So Who Framed Roger Rabbit has just been done a few years before. So in, in, in those terms, maybe not. And anyone who tried to do the Who Framed Roger Rabbit thing after Who Framed Roger Rabbit uh, like Ralph Bakshi or Henry Selleck, um, it never looks as good as Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Speaking of Ralph Bakshi, there is actually the alley cat scene or the alley cat song, What Do We Care? Those cats are like straight out of a Ralph Bakshi movie. It's like if Ralph Bakshi wrote and directed like a Top Cat movie or the the Trash Cats from the Heathcliff animated series, if you remember that point of reference. I did, um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's like if Ralph Bakshi directed that, it would be that sequence. Like it feels very Ralph Bakshi to me. Like just in terms of how they're animated, which is is weird because not really the kind of uh, animator you would expect to be referenced in this. The guy who did Fritz the Cat and Cool World. Well, I mean, you know, you got you got cats. You got you got a cat main character. You got you know out on the street cats doing cat things i mean sure but there's a difference between fritz the cat and tom and jerry like a very big difference uh sure but you could draw the line i guess i, I don't know if if you want to <laughs> i won't but look, go man, for it man I'm, trying, I, look, I'm really trying to defend this movie and i should not be uh, you really shouldn't it's 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 indefensible really i mean yeah it I'm amazed we've talked this long about it. Is there anything else you have to say about this movie? Any other notes that you wanted to hit on before we move on to something else? No, no, not really. Uh, I think we've covered pretty much all my notes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's, uh, let's talk box office then. Uh, Tom and Jerry, the movie came out on July 30th, 1993. Uh, just a couple weeks after my 10th birthday. And uh, it opened at 15, in 15th place. It opened behind uh, Aladdin in its 38th week. Um, so, yeah, just to, to give you an indication of how well it did, uh, it grossed $1.2 million in its opening weekend. Uh, it, it actually opened uh, behind Aladdin and right in front of uh, Snow White in the Seven Dwarfs re-release. So um, it did not do well. No one cared, huh? No, no one no one cared at all. No one. Like, no one. Your top five that week, your number one movie is the, the movie Rising Sun, uh, which is a movie I have heard of, but I couldn't tell you a blessed thing about it, including who's in it. Yeah, so that was, that was number one that week. Uh, in the Line of Fire, number two. The Firm, John Grisham's The Firm at number three, uh, Free Willy in number four, and Jurassic Park in its in its eighth week. 
just beginning to run the table uh, is at number five. Uh, Robin Hood Prince of, or I'm sorry, Robin Hood Men in Tights also new this week opened at number six in its first weekend. Yeah, there you go. Oh, like, wait, uh, wait, wait, hold on. Let me back it up here. Men in Tights opened at number six. Yes. The hell, that movie's great. Why do people sleep on it? I don't know, man. It's here's the thing. It's still Lesser Brooks. Like, oh come on. I'm just, I'm just causing it like I sees it, my friend. Uh, it's uh, look to me. I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm a '90s kid and it was the '90s Mel Brooks movie. It is. But like, come on. It to me, it's right up there with like Spaceballs. It's never been one of my favorites. And that's a shame. It's so good. But like, I'm, I am all in on. The Producers is my all-time favorite, but then followed closely by Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein. Like that's that for me is the Brooks trifecta. I'm not even that hot on Spaceballs, to be honest with you. Well, I mean, that tracks. You act like I hate Star Wars. I don't <laughs> hate Star Wars. Yeah, let's get into that again, Stephen. Why <laughs> Star yes, Wars. Let's, let's please litigate this <laughs> again. For the millionth time. Um, oh my word, dude! You're uh, killing me. I'm sure the listeners love it by now. I, they can't do anything else. Uh, so this movie made uh, so at 1.2 million in its opening weekend. It grossed domestically 3.5. Uh, so not a good multiplier. Word of mouth did not catch on. This movie did absolutely atrociously in the box office. The Tomatometer score is 14 percent. Uh, it does not exist on Metacritic at all. Well, hold on. Hold on now, Stephen. It depends on how you spin it. Uh, at the end of the day, it tripled its opening weekend. Right. Its budget was <laughs> 3.5. It made back its budget. That's Look at not... that. See, it's all about how you spin it, buddy. It made it... back its budget and tripled its opening weekend. <laughs> it's usually not what you want to see, man. <laughs> usually not what you want to see. All right. Uh, 14% on Rotten Tomatoes do, is not on Metacritic at all and uh, gets manages to get a 2.5 on Letterboxd. Brett, how did you rate Tom and Jerry the movie? That is a 2.5 on Letterboxd. That seems high. Uh, it does. <laughs> uh, I gave it a one. Uh, same. Hard same. Yeah. Uh, this This might be one of the worst films we've covered on this podcast so far. Uh, it gets a half a star for that uh, two of a kind song and then half a star for the droopy dog cameo. And that's it. Not, not going to throw any, any fractions of stars, Tony J's way. I, okay. Okay. I will give this movie one and a half stars. You're welcome, Tony J. <laughs> I love you. Uh, I'm still sticking with one. It Look, man, here's the thing. I know this movie has its fans. I get it. I'm just not one of them. Like, I don't think this movie is particularly good. I mean, it's, it's not cohesive. It's, it's not a movie. It's, it's just one. It's like two Tom and Jerry shorts at opposite ends of a weird, like true crime child endangerment story really is what it feels like that Tom and Jerry are just kind of a part of for a little while. And then weirdly like stop being in the movie for like a solid 10 minutes even though they're the title characters, they're just like not around for a while. It look, it's weird. It takes 20 minutes for the plot to even start. It's not good. It's, it's not a good movie. It's, it's actively bad. I want to like it better than I do. I remember it being fairly good when I was younger, but it's not, I'm sorry. It's not. Well, uh, you, you, you've, you've expressed before how, you know, you didn't realize movies could be bad until. Until it's like my freshman year of high school. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that tracks, it's fine. You know, yeah. we don't got to apologize for that. Um, but yeah, no, it's just like, but I remember this movie, like I remember seeing it and being like, well, it's not like Aladdin, but you know, it's all right. Um, no, it's not all right. It's bad. <laughs> it's not good. And here's the thing. If you like it, I'm glad you like it. I'm, I'm happy for you. Thank you for liking this movie. Um, not for me though. It's not for me. And you know what? That's okay. I will probably still watch the upcoming Tim story, uh, Tom and Jerry movie when it releases tomorrow or maybe sometime over the weekend, we'll see how my schedule looks, but I will probably still watch it. Not sure what yeah. level of enjoyment I'll get out of it, but I'll watch it. Look, I mean, it might be better than this. Who knows? Kind of hard not to be. That's very true. So, yeah. 
Uh, well, there we go. That's that's February in the books. That's us talking about Tom and Jerry, uh, which means that next week starts uh, March. And Brett, we have another theme month coming for March. Oh, baby, it's been a while since we did it, a theme month. It's been a couple months. So we've got another theme month coming uh, for the month of March. We hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, there will be some hints dropping on our social medias very soon so watch those spaces if you don't know where to find us on social media we are disenfranchised pod on twitter instagram and facebook that's the other one twitter instagram and facebook uh i am or you can also email us uh disenfranchised at gmail.com uh if you email us then uh, the the title of a failed franchise starter you want to see us cover this year we will cover it before the end of 2021 but you have to email us and let us know uh, you can also recommend one by giving us a five-star rating and review on uh, the podcast review of choice but especially apple podcasts if you do that we will cover that as well that is our promise to you and the best way to get a movie that you want to see us cover on the podcast uh, i can be found on social media i am on letterboxd and twitter and instagram at chewy walrus brett can we even find you on social media these days look at this point until i get my letterbox stuff in order i'm just going to say no all right cool all right sounds good um brett used to be on letterboxd but uh he he hasn't updated it in so long that he's functionally not on letterboxd anymore so, so uh, yeah once i'm back on it and regularly updating it like i should be then i will uh then we'll get back to that I'm gonna I'm gonna remind you. I'm gonna text you tomorrow and be like, "Dude, update your letterbox." Thank you. No problem, buddy. I'm here for you. Um, at any rate, uh, that this has been our episode on Tom and Jerry colon the movie. Uh, until next week on our next theme month, I am one of your co-hosts, Stephen Foxworthy, for the other co-host, Brett Wright, and myself. Hashtag I, two of a kind. Hashtag two of a kind. I don't have any other ending for this this episode. So yeah, hashtag two of a kind. There it is. Yeah.